Well, hello everybody. This is Jeff Morton with Returning to Eden. Uh, I'm doing something a little different tonight. Dina couldn't be with us. Uh, she's, she's down there in uh, New Mexico fighting the Valiant fight in a very political way. And so uh, I, I do have a guest, and I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. Uh, but the reason I'm doing the broadcast and this type of broadcast is because I firmly believe, absolutely believe, that we are a product of history, not something new. And as we deal with the political turmoil and the political angst and the elitists and all of these people trying to control us, uh, I can flash back to virtually any aspect of biblical history and point the same story out and point the same fighters out and, and talk about the disciples who came up against political elitists. I can talk about Jesus or Yeshua who came against the, uh, the authority of Rome and the uh, fake uh, high priests that Rome appointed and all of the political elitists. I often consider the people who were screaming, um, and, and I'm just going to put this out there, screaming, crucify him, crucify him, as Bernie Sanders supporters, if you will, because that's kind of what we're talking about. We're just talking about it in a different century. And so one of the reasons I wanted to do this show with my good friend Marty McClendon, who I'll introduce in just a moment, is because it is my passion to encourage the believers to realize that the moment you gave your life to Christ and you entered into the realm of his kingdom, you were activated to represent the political nature of his kingdom, the military nature of his kingdom, the neighborly representation of loving one another. As It's all his show. We're just manipulating it based on what he has given to us in order to build his kingdom. So when I talk about Abraham, who took 300 men and went and faced five kings in order to rescue Lot, a, 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 just a, a poor pauper doesn't have 300 kings or 300 people and, and go fight five kings in order to rescue a person he was in covenant with. The same is true with Joshua. Joshua was royalty. So when he went into the promised land, he fought against the royalty that existed in the land in order to rid the land of the elitists that were trying to stop the God of Israel and the God of the Bible from developing his kingdom. You can talk about Joseph. We can talk about Esther. We can talk about any biblical patriarch, and virtually all of them were trying to stop a, a, a government of tyranny from controlling and lording over the people. And I will say this until I have no breath in me. Folks, if you are a believer, you are, it's our turn. Literally, it's our turn. So tonight my guest is Marty McClendon. He's running for lieutenant governor. I've known Marty for several years. We've had lunch together a couple of times. We've uh, done several functions where I've gone to listen to him speak. In fact, one of the reasons I'm, I'm behind this campaign, uh, there's several reasons, but I got to listen to Marty McClendon speak about uh, his command of the issues, and I was so impressed. I went, you know, this is not just another person who has an agenda to become a political leader. This is a person who has a biblical mandate to represent the kingdom of God to every action that he takes. And the Bible tells us to, you know, that we are to choose righteous leaders. And so, Marty McClendon, welcome to Returning to Eden. I happen to see you as a righteous man. Uh, hopefully, we're going to see you in the 
in the governorship's office as lieutenant governor because I believe it's time for the people of God to fight back with the political weapons that our Lord died for in order for us to remain free. So, Marty, welcome to Returning to Eden. I, I just love having you on, and I thank you for taking this time. I appreciate it, Jeff, very much, and your listeners as well. It's interesting you talked about that, too, because we've been in these spiritual battles since the beginning of time, right? It's good versus evil, uh, and they're played out in the economic world and through the military field and in the political. And the political affects every way of life. It doesn't matter which country you're in, and it's why the government is so important. It says when righteous people reign, the people rejoice. When wicked people uh, reign, people groan, right? And we see time and time again when governments are taken over by anti-God, you know, uh, uh, wickedness, you see people suffer. And we see it in America. We see it in our state when we, ha we have these political forces. And we see a dichotomy, too, where we've been bought into this lie as the body of Christ that we shouldn't get involved. Well, what happens when you're not involved and you're not at the table? When the Bible says that we're supposed to go into all the world, which means all realms, all spheres, and speak the good news, if we're not there, how do you bring salt and light? How do you bring um, truth to a discussion that affects everybody? affects their education, where they can live, the zoning of the land. What it, be, it affects righteousness. Now, where we live in Washington State, um, something years ago through scripture and prayer and so forth, this state was the first state in the nation that had a national day of prayer, the first state in the nation to actually have the presidential prayer breakfast, that started in this state and then went to D.C., right? So there's righteous things that came out of the state. And yet, since then, the first state in the nation to legalize abortion before Roe v. Wade, the first state in the nation to legalize same-sex marriage, the first state in the nation to legalize marijuana, right? Those are all forms of witchcraft. But they're played out. They're not in the spiritual realm. They're in the political realm. These are being manipulated upon Christians and families across the state through a political means. But we know it's a spiritual battle. But if this, those people of God aren't engaged in the political fight, they're missing out. They're responding to things that already been done to them. And we know throughout Scripture and throughout history, when nations make laws that are in front of God, that's when God gets, gets um, upset, right, and destroys it's, it's fine when individuals make a choice, you know, that that's between them and God. But when governments instituted among men actually make laws that are anti-God, we're in trouble. That's why we need people of righteous nature to run for office. So to your point, that's my calling. Uh, I've been, for a little history, I've been in the pulpit. I've been a pastor. Uh, I love the Lord. I love preaching the word. But the idea here, I was praying one day about King David. King David was anointed king long before he was legally king. And he was chased by Saul. He was, he was all he was running. He was, people were surrounded him. There were some great things that happened. But it wasn't until he was made legally king by the people that he called forth the restoration of the temple, of worship, right? Whereas a, a person of legal authority, he was going to honor God. And, of course, his son finished the project with the temple and, and the sacrifice and so forth. But that was something on my heart. And I realized my assignment in the kingdom of God is to be is to call the church forward from a kingly position, a, a position in government where we need the church to reengage for the betterment of society because we know with God's guidance, the people that submit themselves to God is how our country was founded. And the reason we've been so successful over the last couple hundred years is because we've been a nation that understands we are one nation under God. And we've been able to give the most generous nation and so forth. So 
you were asking uh, off the air as well for your listeners why this role and this, this role lieutenant governor and it's different in, in many states but in Washington state you don't run with the governor it is in many ways like the vice president is where you are in waiting when the governor's out of state or when the governor's incapacitated you become the governor but unique to Washington state you are both executive and legislative what does that mean you are the presiding officer over the Senate and the Senate in our state in many states is where laws um, get negotiated and passed lieutenant governor is the arbiter or the decision maker when it comes to is this a bill that should come to the floor can it be pulled will it be voted on which community will it go through there's a lot of power there that can say no this isn't ready this doesn't need to be pulled or this needs to be, to be amended before it sees the light of day now it's worked the same-sex marriage bill we talked about was pulled to the floor by the lieutenant governor uh, several years ago and then it was voted on to be, become law it would never become that unless it was pulled to the floor by the lieutenant governor um, you break ties many times this last session lieutenant governor broke ties so they're, they're divided over an issue over a bad policy in our state we have this really egregious comprehensive sex education down to kindergarten that would never see the light of day if you had a lieutenant governor that actually stood on value and said no that's not going to happen but that was pulled to the floor and signed by the governor into law terrible stuff but in addition to that though um, you also decide on key positions in, in committees uh, you sit on several committees within the legislative process so you can work you can present your own legislation things that tweaks to bills or your own bill and you can work through the legislation to get a vote on it very very powerful from an executive standpoint though um, not only are you the governor when the governor's gone but all the finances in the state when it comes to retirement funds or investments the governor the treasurer and the lieutenant governor sit on that and decide where they go as far as which where's a good investment for the health of the state and where those money had a good return or not return all the things to do with trade we do 14 billion dollars a year in agriculture plus and plus other things across the state that is desperately uh, important dealing with other nations and we had um, this last time around they actually did not want to do trade with Israel that's something the lieutenant governor is intimately involved in is expanding trade and deciding who we trade with it's important to have someone with biblical values to actually uh, secure those blessings and to expand what we already do we have we are the breadbasket of the world the lieutenant governor appoints to 41 different boards and committees one of those committees I'm passionate about my background in real estate is the building commission you know about a quarter to a third of the cost of building a house is regulations or red tape if you have someone with a background in land use and real estate on those committees we can drive the price of housing down lower the, the cost so people can get into them make it more affordable we have one of the most expensive places in the world to live right here in, our, in the region and, and it doesn't need to be we can do great things by who we have put on these committees and how we solve these problems Lieutenant Governor has a bully pulpit though beyond the the executive staff and the legislative stuff of working through legislature you can work with different agencies like the um, um, public lands uh, the the school districts like the OSPI with the auditor uh, to clean up government so there's many things I'm passionate about but using the bully pulpit I'm passionate several things I'm not sure if you want to go into detail on that Jeff but um, there are things you can do from a lieutenant governor standpoint that isn't specific to one thing if you're the superintendent of public instruction you could work on education only if you're the public lands you're working on lands 
as a lieutenant governor, I can work on issues that cross all those boundaries, whether it be education, which I'm passionate about, um, cleaning up government and having a government accountability, which I'm passionate about, um, drawing in and making sure our First Amendment and Second Amendment rights are protected. And if I'm talking about land use, which I'm passionate about too, I can work in all those different areas as lieutenant governor. So the, the role is unique, but it's powerful in the fact that it has the flexibility to make a difference using the bully pulpit but as, as well, the legislative process to actually pass law that makes sense and gets, gets what, you're, what you want to do, your vision, actually done. Well, you know, Marty, I mean, that's, a, that's an awful lot of information. And I'm sitting here as, yeah. I, as I'm listening to you go through the line item uh, responsibility as a lieutenant governor. I'm, I'm asking myself, how do you know all of this? And, and also, yeah. for the person who feels defeated or disenfranchised from the process, how do you encourage them to understand what you just said based on your command of that position? How, how do you get the average person who feels my vote doesn't mean anything, my, act, my being involved? I mean, you obviously took the time to learn what this position means. You've been around for a while running for offices and serving the community, but how do you know all of this? Really, it is. You you have certain things you can do research online. You can go to the the, the site. But I've I, I've been in the Senate. I know people serving there. I know what their job entails as far as the presiding officer and making decisions. But what excites me about it, the fact that I, even many of the people in the state talk about, to your point, they've given up. They don't feel like their vote matters. They feel like all the voices in, in King County. And I've been working for about a decade to, one, call the church for it, but also to, to encourage people that your vote does matter. We've got many races, local, state, and, 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 um, but local, state and federal, that are won or lost within a few hundred votes. And, you know, and the numbers are in our favor if we turn out. But we have a turnout problem. In many camps, in Seattle and some parts of King County, you have a 90% turnout every election. And most of the other counties, we're talking 65 to 70%. So we know that if we can encourage people that if you turn out, not only does it make a difference in your local area, but it makes a difference statewide. Now, I understand it's been 35 years since we've had Republicans, except for the two, in statewide office, and it's because we have a turnout issue. But when we encourage people that these small elections, even state elections, you know, can be won or lost by 20, 30, or 50, or 100 votes, people get excited. They go, you're right. And so the statewide, it, 100 votes or 1,000 votes in every district ends up being the deciding factor statewide. And the difference is, like for a governor, I don't, and as a lieutenant governor, you don't do this, but for a governor, they can literally appoint to 1,500 positions across state government. Massive sea change. Lieutenant governor can't be that sweeping, but we can make differences in the legislative process, can stall things and pull things forward, but you can work with the different agencies to make real change over time as well. And I've got some plans for that. But to encourage people that a small town guy, you know, that I grew up in eastern Washington and now live in western Washington, I have a perspective that I believe God's given me over time. My background, I've got a background in healthcare, uh, 13 years in open heart surgery at the anesthesia tech. 21 years in real estate doing land use. I've done a radio show for six years that covers statewide. We've got um, a, a pastor at a church. We've been involved in, in different types of ministry. The idea, all these things I've done, and it's just touching the surface, have built relationships all across the state that are coming to play now. And I realize that God's put these people in my life, these different skill sets, 
to be able to communicate with different communities. When I can go into a Okanagan County, which is a, a town in eastern Washington, it's farmland and ranch land, and I grew up on a ranch and a farm, my parents, I could talk about what's going on. I understand how important water is to the, the, the cattle, how important it is to the farmers, how important it is to do legislation that actually makes sense to them. People in the West don't know that, right? But I also live over here and understand how important our waterways are and ecology is and our forests are. Um, and that really gives me a, a, a ability to talk and to communicate and understand, bring those issues back and say, I know the issues in Whitman County or the issues in Clark County will be different. They have the big, same general big issues where big government, more taxes, that kind of stuff. But the specific issues are local issues. And what you can do is get local pastors together, local nonprofits, local businesses, local leaders together and say, what are the issues? Are there solutions we can come up together locally? Is there a state issue or regulation or red tape that's in the way from you getting there? I can work on that and facilitate local level solutions. That's what you need to be doing. And you can't do that unless you've been engaged statewide in different ways to communicate and bring people together. So it's, it's in real estate for 21 years, it's one of those things, not only do I know land and contracts, but I know people. You know, you take people that want different things, you know, that are opposing sides and you say, there's a solution to win-win for both of you and we'll get it together and we'll get it to closing. The legislative process is the same way. It's bringing both sides together and saying, here's what the state wants. Here's some things we can get done. We can get to a win-win situation. So, Well, you know, as, as I listen to you speak, uh, I, I, you know, I was told by a prominent radio talk show host here, in Washington state, I asked the question, um, do you think we have enough people in the state of Washington to flip the state? And he said, flat out, no. And the moment he said that I went, you sound like the media Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not a media person. I don't believe in the media. I believe that the media, uh, if we just look at the last several days, how powerful, the media is that persuading people to react or mm-hmm. to not react. And I think that there's, in addition to people feeling disenfranchised, they've also heard the steady drumbeat of your vote doesn't matter and you guys, we don't, we hate you Christians and you're not going to win. I've actually had people uh, say to me now, Marty will never, ever get the liberal vote or get the uh, independent vote. And I sit here and I listen to this and I go, the, the one thing that can change that is if people with their busy lives realize that what you're working for, if your community falls apart, then what are you really working for? And so you have to be just as engaged in your community as you are in trying to put food on the table. And I believe that the citizens of Washington State, and particularly on the eastern side of the mountain, are screaming for that voice again. And, and, and I would say this, just like I did a year ago, I, I sat screaming at my television as a conservative. I have never, ever, ever, ever voted for Democrat principles or policies. For a 44 years, I've been screaming at the television, and I decided, you know, this isn't working. It took me 44 years to realize this isn't working. So I, I walked into an office of the Republican Party, and I said, how do I get involved? What do I do? And by simply doing that, a door flung open to where I had no choice but to learn the process and start mm-hmm. being involved. And the more that I got involved, 
believe it or not, the more I started learning about my community and meeting people in the community, and I began to realize just by doing that, I'm making a difference, not only for me, but for the people I talk to. So I don't believe that the people on the west east side of the state have no voice. I, I don't believe. I believe that we need to recognize that we have to be activated in our communities in order to literally choose the right leaders and represent the right things. And if we don't do that, we're just it's like it's like handing the keys of the kingdom to the adversaries of the throne of God. And I just don't believe that American citizens are ready to do that. So I'll let you address that because I believe we can make a difference if we get off of the ideal that we can't. Right. I think we're told so often that it doesn't matter and you can't and who are you, and right? And I, and I've been told many times I'm too conservative, I'm too Christian. I'm like, no, no, that's exactly how we're going to win it because people believe the same thing I do. The numbers bear out nationally, nationally and even here in Washington that 68% of Washingtonians believe in Jesus Christ, believe in, in God, they have faith, and yet they don't connect the two, right? And then we know the numbers bear out that of those that do, about half of them are registered to vote, and, about, and then of that, about half of them vote on any one election. When they do turn out, we win. That's a part of the problem. The rest of it is understanding that it's, it's, if it's not you, then who? If it's not now, then when? We've heard this before, and even on a radio show, we talk about there. every single person in Washington State, I believe, is called by God, for a purpose, and they've been given certain skills and certain experiences that nobody else has except for them, that they can give voice to, and they can make a difference at any level, in their community, as a PCO, in the party, running for office. I believe my call, I've figured out my calling, it really is to be in a statewide office, and to call, because I know what my role is, my calling is to call the church forward and to make a difference for the future generations. It's a battle that I've been prepared for for my entire life. That's the reason I've been engaged in the battle. I'm, I'm ready to serve. But there are people that are listening to this show and what, listening to our radio show and seeing us that are wondering what their role is. There is something that you're, you're, you're something you're called to do that you have to do. And when you do, things change. And really, it takes that act, act of faith to step out and say, you know what? I, I know this. I can vote. I can register. I can call my neighbor. I can tell five friends. I can share things. You'd be amazed on when you do that. To like Jeff's point, doors open. People are hungry for being connected, for being able to make something of value, to make to make a difference in people's lives, and they're waiting for you. They're waiting for the listener, waiting for the viewer to do that. And oftentimes, they're the one that has a key for that person. You know, we've heard it many, many times in in um, sales and stuff. It's it may not be your next deal. It's the next person you meet. It could be open un, uh, open the door to what you need. And it's true. And God's put people here. He's made us the hands and feet. And so to make a change, it's us to make a change. And, we can, and, and for those that are, I don't want to be political, that's where the battle is right now. It, you know, yes, it's spiritual, but it's being played out in the political realm. Well, see, and we've got to be engaged. And I want to I I speak to what you just said. Yeah, we're in a spiritual battle, but you and I can't see the spiritual battle. Right. We're suffering the consequences of not being active in the battle itself because the battle is being played out by human hands. Mm -hmm. We have adversity saying, we're going to take your guns. We're mm -hmm. going to teach your child in kindergarten 
all of these pornographic things that we consider normal. We're going to put certain people in front of your kids to, to that 40 years ago would have been considered uh, asylum material. We're going to put them in front of your kids to teach them there's an alternative world that, that they can see. The problem with all of this is that the people of God are supposed to be on the front line. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to take a back seat waiting for an airlift and to be rescued. We were rescued already. Now we need to be active in representing the kingdom because the ideal behind everything that Moses brought down off that mountain was to teach people a behavior on how to establish the government and the throne of God in the earth and to go forward and share this information and represent something different. Now, our show, and my my co-host, Dina Dye, who's not with us, a year ago she inspired me to get involved. Now, she's down in New Mexico, and and it's, it's tough down there. Her, her person that she was running, uh, supporting, uh, lost big time down there, but the state is corrupt. Mm-hmm. And the problem that Dina will tell you is that the people who want change and don't want these things to happen in their state are the ones that aren't doing anything to make a difference. Right. That's, it, that's the tragedy of being a believer in our world. And I'm, I'm going to say this. Because the program, Returning to Eden, is all about looking at the biblical narrative from the, from the writer's eyes. And I can tell you, I can absolutely tell you that when we talk about a temple, the temple of God, the temple in Eden, that whatever, that was the seat of the authority of the kingdom of God, and that's where his presence was. So now if we just move this, this, the, the years down to modern day, our temple in the United States of America is the Capitol building, and that's the center of our government and all of our activity. And so if we allow that to be taken away from us, well, I can think of one nation that had that happen a couple of times, and they were scattered all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it was because they were infighting and they weren't engaged in, in, in literally representing the very constitution or covenant, if you will, that was given to them at Sinai. We cannot be, we cannot follow the same path. And that's why you're running for lieutenant governor. That's why I have you on my program. That's why I'm fighting out here in the state of Washington. And my fight is to get the believer to realize you're the front line. Mm-hmm. We're the, the tip of the spear. This, this is the battle we have to be in. We know, and many people will argue, especially on the left, about not being a Christian nation founded on Judeo-Christian values. And yet, if you look at our founding forefathers, every one of them you know, recognized Jesus, recognized God, understood that we had biblical foundations, the Ten Commandments, and so forth. Eleven of the first 13 colonies required that you had to be of a certain faith, whether it be Methodist or Catholic or Christian or whatever, to run for office. But they wanted people of good moral character. Our Constitution has been quoted as saying that it's wholly inadequate without having a moral people. We have to be engaged in that, to your point. The bottom line, it doesn't, um, Reagan said, it doesn't get passed on to our kids in the bloodstream. We have to fight to secure these same liberties for the next generation. And yet, who's going to fight for it? Who's going to honor God in these things if we're not engaged? And so this is not beaten up. It's we can make a difference, but we, as the body and Christians, have to say, no, this is important. This takes precedence. The future 
generation and the government has to be involved where God is put in first, where things are put in proper alignment. That's why Second Chronicles 7, right, always says, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right, and cry out, right, and repent, uh, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and heal your land. This is really, really important, but if you don't have people of biblical authority, people that are righteous nature, are submitted under God in authority, then you have wicked people reigning. I'm not, you know, it may not be intentional, but you, what you have is legislation that is against the people, that puts them in bondage. Now, I'll give you an example here before I go into to sort of the, the specifics of how we set people free through a political environment. Uh, and environment. But in 2016, I, I got a chance to speak to um, bishops and pastors and stuff in the black community in Seattle. Um, about 5,000 members, all of them have voted Democrat in their entire life. And, I, and every, every issue we talked upon, they would agree with me, but said, no, we're voting Democrat because Democrats care more. And I go, no, that's not true. And I can argue till I'm blue in the face about the facts of history, that it's not true. And, they, and we couldn't come to an agreement. I said, isn't the most important thing? Because I realized that I've been there for 35 years. I've been in the community. I've broken bed, bread with these guys. I, they knew me as a person. They trusted me, but they didn't believe in my you know, party, right? And I said, isn't the most important thing for this community, right now the community you're serving, is restoring fathers to your homes? So we know that the number one indicator for success for kids is a two-parent household. And we know we have a, a, a epidemic or a pandemic of single-parent households in this neighborhood. And he goes, yes. I go, that's a public policy decision. Right now, for 35 years, if a woman has a baby and the husband stays home, she has to get no public aid. But if she has a baby and the husband's not in the home, she gets public assistance. And the more babies she has, the more public assistance she gets. You're rewarding bad behavior, which created the problem, and it's a political solution. You change that by rewarding Strong families and penalizing bad families like that, you change things. He goes, you can do that? I go, yes. I want to free up you to do what you're supposed to do as, as, as champion families and not be fighting City Hall for the pot store next to your church. And they all went, I've never seen it that way. They didn't see the tie-in to politics in the church. And if it, you have our support the first time ever they vote for Republican. The point was it wasn't because of the party or the argument. It was because I understood what the core issue was, that God wants to restore families. And for 35 years, that community went from being the number one community with two-parent households, the highest graduation rate, the lowest crime rate, and the highest um, homeownership to the lowest on all those rates because of bad policy, bad politics. But now, see, and that's, that's the key thing right there because – uh, this is this is kind of my swan song. The the reason there are the black family was decimated was because a, of a political series of decisions to destroy that community's family. And in the sixties, the riots and all of the things that were occurring were being done because there were decisions being made to lock up black men for the least amount of crime. And I can tell you, and I can tell you this because I know the history, and I'm sure you do too, mm -hmm. and I say this not as a black man, and not, I'm not saying this to a white man. I'm saying this as an American because I've studied the history. That was done in order to control how much expansion the black communities were going to be allowed. And they figured if they could destroy the family by removing the father, then they could bring in these welfare trucks 
and bring three weeks of food into these communities and get them hooked on the idea that they had to manage that fourth week and became dependent. This has been something I have been screaming about for 40 years. I call it the plantation nation, and I don't mean to be offensive, and I don't mean to, to belittle any of the, the difficulties that black families, I, listen, white families went through the Depression. It was a bad time, and we survived. All of us, the white families did, the Asian families did, the black families survived. But there's always been this diabolical movement to control people. Mm -hmm. in the United States of America. And since the slave trade was about control, that effigy kind of hangs over my community as though it was some kind of, um, uh, some kind of, this is normal. This is not normal. The whole idea, you know what, Larry Elder said this, and he talked about this. He said, if you talk to the average person and ask them how long slavery lasted in the United States of America, the answer should be it took 87 years for the citizens of the United States of America to destroy the slave trade that was promulgated by the, the Dutch and the English. It took 87 years. I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> and I kind of knew that phone call was going to ring. But... um. It took 87 years to defeat slave trade, and we were fighting a particular party in order to do it. And so when we start talking about the actual historical fact, it's not about the color of your skin. It's about the people who fought in order mm -hmm. for freedom. And that's why this country was founded. That's what the Constitution is all about. And I will say this also. If we don't teach the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to our youth, then there is no foundation for the United States of America. And that's what's being erased. Mm -hmm. And we can't allow that to happen. I'll let you, I'll what let we you see right now in. is the political talking points in America and Washington is that the Constitution is outdated, needs to be changed, it's a living, right. breathing document. Um, and yet, we know that the Constitution is the highest law of the land, and the Constitution itself says that our rights come from God, and government is instituted to secure those rights. And if, and if you get rid of the Constitution, you've already pushed away God. And, and with, the, with the Christian, um, well, the body of Christ not engaged in politics, what do you have to stop them, right? That's this all works. It, it all works only if we have God first, the Constitution, and then our, our, our rights. And then teach them to our kids and the next generation. That's why the education system, and I, don't, I don't know how much time we have, but the education system is so important. It's not government-run schools. We understand that. But it's the fact that parents passing on values to their kids. When you break down the family in any community, you're supposed to have the grandparents, parents, and kids generationally passing down blessing, passing down knowledge. What we have now is we're separating out the elders, the seniors. Parents are too busy working because the taxes are so high, and the kids are in the, in the care of government-run schools. In our state, we spent $9 billion additional. We spent $15 billion a year to do public education for 1.1 million kids. Think about that. $15 billion for 1.1 million kids. Okay? It's insane. But with that... One in five kids drop out of high school every year. So 20% of our kids are failing. Okay? Of the 80% that are actually graduating, 48% actually are at math level, and 49% are actually at science level. That's it. So half the kids are actually at level. Everybody else is below level for standard. It's crazy. A third of them go to college. Okay? This is a system designed for every kid to go to college. 
of that third, 50% drop out before they finish. So now you have a small portion of all those kids that have been pushed through a failing system um, graduating, and of those, 54% are underemployed or unemployed in the career they went to school for with massive debt. This is setting people up in bondage. This is intentional. And then and along the way, indoctrinating them with anti-God, socialist, whatever um, policies, right? I, well, Marty, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> we yeah. can go for a while now, but, but here we are when you talk about the cost per child. Yeah. And then you look at the people that, are, that we don't want teaching our children. They're the ones collecting the, uh, the retirement money that we're, we're pouring in. They're sitting there teaching our children things we don't want them to learn while they collect a gigantic pension and look forward to it in retirement, and that's where this money is being funneled to. The majority of it is going to these pensions for people that we don't want teaching our children. And the problem is when the parents checked out of the PTAs, it was mm -hmm. filled with a void of different social, mm -hmm. political groups that wanted to change the nature of the way the school boards were operated, and they've had 30 years to do this. It's why right now you can put health clinics in schools. 13-year-old girls can get an abortion without parental notification. Um, they're normalizing the fact and celebrating um, LGBTQ, transgender, you name it. And if you are a conservative Christian kid, you are basically told you don't count and you are something wrong with you. They're celebrating, literally, as in the scripture says, in the last days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. That's where we're, we're teaching our kids, we not we, but this system, we're allowing is, system is allowing this to happen to our children under our nose. We've got to change that. And part of that is choice and rigor. But, but for me, one of those passionate issues is to give our kids earlier options like the trades, skill centers and so forth and get them out and allow parents to have more choice to give them education at home, education in charter schools, education in the trades, to bring back a lot of those things that we've lost over the years where you can get a great paying job out of high school, that you can actually go to school and get trained and, and avoid this indoctrination and where it comes back to the core principles where you learn skills, you learn uh, how to be a citizen, how to learn the constitution, how to be a, a good neighbor. Those are things we've lost with the focus on because we're not engaged. And so I know we're busy, but give an example here. About 15 years ago in our state, um, there were 3,000, 4,000 um, child daycare centers. Okay? That led because more, to, to, more parents were working. Husband and wife were out there working, so they needed a place for the kid. That's part of the problem because they you know, had to work to pay for the daycare instead of staying home. Fine. More regulations came in intentionally from the state government, made it more costly to open a daycare, right? So the price went up, so people had to work more hours to pay for it, once again, with policies. More of them shut down, but they couldn't stay in business. So government goes, oh, now there's a shortage. We'll have to do government-run daycares. And now that we have government-run daycares, we, we have to put more regulations in so we can't have any competition. And oh, by the way, now we want the same education we're teaching K-12 through to go down to birth and to uh, newborns in daycare. It is, it is a total indoctrination from birth to grave, and that's something we're fighting about. That's why spiritually and politically we've got to be engaged as a church. That's why I'm running, you know, is to make a difference, knowing that we've got, like you said, 30 years, but now and it won't change overnight, but we can make a difference today and this year that will have uh, basically generational um, change and benefit for our, the child, children to come. So. 
Well, I'm going to, you know, we're running towards it. We've gone quite a bit over my half yeah. hour limit, but uh, I want to <laughs> say this and I, I'll get your, I'll get your thoughts uh, as we close the show. You know, if these people are indoctrinating our children, why is it so easy for them to do that? And the reason is because we're not indoctrinating our children. We're not setting the standard. We're not setting the example. If I walk into any community and ask any parent, who's your leaders? Most people can't answer the question. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are not people out there on the front lines because there's a lot. Mm -hmm. But the average person doesn't know what's going on in their own community politically. And the only way to change that is to walk into your, 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 your party's office and say, I would like to spend at least an hour to two hours a week in here. And now the more you do that, the more you – I believe this, and I'm going to bring this back to where we started. People don't know what to do. They know how to vote, but they don't know what to do in between the two-year period and the four-year period. They just don't know. I've seen it firsthand. I was one of them. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what – I didn't know doorbelling. I didn't know mm -hmm. sign waving. I didn't – I saw all these goofy people on the corner waving signs and right. doing all this kind of stuff for 40 years. And I realized recently that that's what you do. That's where you start. That's how you begin. Mm -hmm. And the more you do that, the more your children are going to see you doing something else that's not indoctrinating them, but educating them to the Constitution of the United States of America, the freedoms that we all enjoy, so that they have something to cling to, to hope to, to chase after by our example. But if we do absolutely nothing, then absolutely nothing will get done by us. And I'll let you have that last word, Marty. No, I uh, completely agree. It, literally, when our kids are watching us, they always have been watching us. And when we are educated ourselves or get engaged, we get empowered. We actually see things change. It, it, it's amazing how much momentum you can have. And then your kids get inspired to do the same thing. They start to, to believe that they can make a difference. Right. For me, we, we've been through multiple due to things with my uh, uh, cancer for my son twice, my wife's breast cancer and brain injury. You would think we would never qualify for our office, and yet I know those things actually qualify you in a way that I can have compassion and empathy that I can fight for and know the issues. So whatever people have been gone through, that you're not disqualified. God's qualified you, and he's called you, uh, and I want to encourage anybody listening that this is where the fight is, and you're needed. And when you, and when you get engaged, not only will you be changed, but you will change the people around you. You will inspire them. And uh, it, it is amazing how that multiplies in our lives, and it does. When we, the, the Revolutionary War was a small percentage of Americans that were going to say, no, we want, we want our freedom. This, the country was founded upon a, a tireless minority. So we need a tireless minority right now to take it back. Well, Marty, how can people um, contact you? What's your website? And uh, okay. uh, Because I'm not a 501c3 and I don't, I don't belong mm -hmm. to the government, uh, how can people um, – help you financially. I mean, what do, we, yeah. what do we do? With every campaign, this is the way we get the message out, is really it takes money to do uh, commercials and, and mail and that kind of stuff. So my website is electmarty, so electmarty, my name, dot com. It's pretty simple. There's a place to donate there. 
money goes a long ways. It's one of those things where the signs uh, Jess was talking about, they're five bucks a piece to, to get people to see it. The big ones are like 40 bucks a piece. A commercial can be five bucks for your community. But so they can get five, 10, 100, up to 4,000, depending on what you can do, can get the message out to allow people like yourself to find out candidates like myself and, and support us to get in office. But the more people understand that, we're, that we share the values, that we have the right ideas, that we have the solutions, that we're fighting for their family and the future for their family, they'll turn out and vote. That's the key. The key is to let people know what we stand for, that we're going to honor God and we're going to fight for this country and fight for families, that if they vote, we can actually have that and make a difference. Then, then people get excited. But they've got to find out. And, and it, look, Scripture says people aren't saved until, because people aren't sent and they don't hear, right? People have to be sent and people have to hear before they can receive salvation, right? Well, we have to be elected in order to do these good things. And so to do that, we need money and votes. So go to electmarty.com and do what you can. And pray, of course. And folks, I would just encourage you to consider this, that when uh, Isaiah 11, I think it's 11.9 says, the weight of the government shall be upon his shoulders. Well, you and I, believe it or not, if that's true, and I believe it is it's true, we're the ones who have to hold up his arms, and we have to be the ones to carry the water, and we have to be the ones to fund the campaign. We have to be the front line in order for the things of God to be realized, and for those looking for something better in this world, they need to see that light because we're doing something to keep that light shining. So, Marty McClendon, I appreciate you taking the time to come on Returning to Eden with us. Uh, this program goes all over the Internet, all over the world. But we are really focused on Washington State. Marty's running for lieutenant governor. I'm very involved with whatever I can do here because I believe that my salvation, to quote a pastor friend of mine down in Dorito, Louisiana, my salvation is also my activation. And just like the disciples, I've got to do some foot walking and some testifying in order for you to understand what the kingdom of God means. And I think Marty McClendon is trying to do the same thing. He's going to be our next lieutenant governor, but we need your help. We need your vote. We need your money. We need your time. And we need you to volunteer. So, Marty, thank you for coming on to Returning and Eat. We'll do it again, maybe. Sounds good. I look forward to it. God bless you, my friend. This is Jeff with Returning to Eden signing off. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.